Awesome. Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Lamentations. Lamentations. That is in the Old Testament. So if you can, if you can find the book of Psalm, then you can start hanging a ride, and then eventually you'll get to Lamentations. It comes right after Jeremiah. And so we are in our series, All Things New, and I really believe that God has a word for all of us here this morning, and then those of you who are engaging with us online, he has a word for you, and I, I, I pray that it would truly be an encouraging and hopeful word. As I was thinking about where we were going this weekend, you know, I was thinking about weather forecasts. Now, how many of you, you are weather forecast junkies, every day you're looking at the weather forecast? Anybody out there, you're looking at the weather forecast? How many of you really want to jump ahead and you want to see what the whole week is going to look like or the next 10 days? You want to look, okay, perfect. So for those of you who did not raise your hand, you're boring. I'm just joking. I'm just playing. I'm playing. But I'm going to give you, if you don't look at the weather forecast, here's the weather forecast for Longwood for the next 10 days, all right? Here are the next seven days. I don't think I can count, but, uh, but today 90, which is why I'm wearing a t-shirt, um, not a suit anymore. Uh, that was the one and done type thing last weekend. But do you, do you know what this is right here? The percentage of what? You know what that means in Florida? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so you ever thought about why you look at forecast and you, you want to know what tomorrow's going to bring. And so you want to be prepared. And I would say that every single one of us, if we're going to go on vacation, we're going to look at the forecast, make sure we pack what we need, make sure it's going to be pretty. And if it's not, and it's supposed to be rainy and yucky, especially if we're going to go to the Bahamas or something like that, we're going to be praying, Lord, you know, only get one vacation every year. Let it, please let it be. I mean, like, so, you know, like you're looking at the forecast so that you can plan ahead. But have you ever kind of been engaged in a day and you see somebody you're like I bet I bet that sucker didn't I bet he didn't see the forecast like I got a couple of images to show you like like this guy right here and Dally he didn't get the forecast like maybe he had lived in Florida and they moved to Illinois and he's like it's supposed to be warm I, I, anyways but these people in Dally they saw the forecast this 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 boy he, he didn't or, or what about this guy this guy and Dally he uh, did not read the forecast like hey it's the summer in Florida sucker you better get an umbrella and so everybody else has an umbrella but this guy uh, yeah uh, he's out and then this guy and Dally he didn't read that there was going to be sun that day <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's thinking, I better, I should have looked at that forecast. Yeah. So, so we look at forecast to make sure that we are prepared. What's coming down the pipeline? Let me ask you this question. What if life had a forecast? Like if your life, if you could look up the next five days, seven days, 10 days, 14 days of your life, and there was a forecast that predicted what was going to happen, what kind of forecast would you like to see? I know what kind of forecast that you would like to see, so let me put it up. This is the kind of forecast we would like to see. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no, no rain, especially us Floridians. And I am a Floridian right now. I mean, I'm legit. I got the license. I got the license plate. I mean, I'm, I'm good. And so, yeah. but, but this would be amazing. And then to have even low 50s, that, that, I know what some of you are like, I got to bring out my North Face jacket for 50. No, you don't. Leave that thing up. But then if you look at pleasant, sunny, nice, I mean, we would love to have a life that's so pleasant. 
Man, I'd love to have a life that's nothing but sunshine. Man, I'd love to have a day in my life where it just got warmer. Man, it'd just be awesome. But here's really the forecast for our life. Let's, let's look at it. <laughs> that, that's, our for, that's really our forecast, right? Every day, a chance of thunderstorms. Like scattered, isolated. It's isolated with you and, and your wife and y'all going at it with one another. So it's isolated. Or, and then you got a morning thunderstorm. You got, you got stuck in traffic on I-4 and you're just mad. You're mad. Like, so, so it's a morning thunderstorm. And, and then, I mean, again, you have all these kind of percentages. And then look at it like 87, 87, you know, and, and humid, humid. And the thing that we looked at last week, does anybody remember the main point from last week? I know that some of you don't remember what you had for breakfast this morning, but, but anybody remember the last, you know, last week's main point? You, you need, all right, here it is. Just in case, you need a new you. See, we are sinners by our very nature. We live in a fallen and broken world. And every single one of us, we need to survive to survive what's coming. And that is the wrath of God. We need a new you. You need a, you need a, we need a new us. I need a new me. And, and that has been made possible through Jesus's death and resurrection. And so that's what we celebrated last week in Jesus's death and resurrection, how it's through him, God is making all things new. And, and one of these days, we will experience a full on out new day. No more brokenness, no more fallenness, no more sin, no more storms, no more disease, no more sickness, no more death. That day is coming, but it's not yet. And so in the midst of our new you, in the midst of that, we still live in old Days, And that's what we're going to see this morning in Lamentations 3 is that Jeremiah is going to remind, although a new you is coming for Israel and we're ex we've experienced the, the, the new you through Jesus' death and resurrection, but what he's going to remind them is that we still live in a, a very dark and gloomy day. We still live in these old days. Things don't go our way. Things don't happen the way we want. Life doesn't end up the way we planned. You know, we face trying days, uncertain days, difficult days, sad days, uncomfortable days, depressing days, painful days, confusing days. And so really that's the reason why the forecast of our lives are a mixed bag. And one of these days, every single one of us, we will face the ultimate dark day, gloomy day, and that would be death. But in the midst of our mixed bag, in the midst of these, these old days, these dark days, uh, Jeremiah is going to write a message of hope. Now, the context of their darkness was the Babylonians had come and laid siege and captured Jerusalem. And they were starving out the inhabitants there in Jerusalem. I mean, it had gotten so dark where many of them had turned to cannibalism because they were so hungry. So many of them were dying. So the, so the Babylonians, they were in control. They were winning and they would eventually sack Jerusalem and they would take many of the young people back to Babylon. This is a very dark and gloomy day in Israel. So, so the forecast was one of uncertainty, one of defeat, and then one of death, individually, familially, and even nationally. But within that forecast, 
There's this ray of light. There's this ray of hope that Jeremiah writes here in Lamentations, and it comes right smack dab in the middle of, of Lamentations. And Lamentations simply means lament. That's why Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. So this is one book of just nothing but crying, mourning, weeping, but right in the heart of his weeping comes hope. Now, Jeremiah, he was uniquely qualified to write about hope. And the reason why he was uniquely qualified, because in his previous book, the book of Jeremiah, he writes about the coming new covenant. L listen to these words that, that Jeremiah pens. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So Jeremiah uses the language new covenant. Last week with Isaiah, he uses the words new thing. New thing, new covenant, they are synonymous. So Isaiah is saying God is getting ready to do a new thing. Jeremiah is saying that God is getting ready to establish a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah goes on. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So, so now in the midst of this dark and gloomy forecast for Israel, Jeremiah is uniquely qualified to write about hope because he knew God was doing something behind the scenes, even though they couldn't see it in the forecast. So, so with that in mind, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we will read Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. So, these are the words that Jeremiah writes in his lament, in his weeping. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Maybe some of you, you are there. This is, this is your environment. This is your season. You are going through a thunderstorm. You are experiencing the oldness of our days. And Jeremiah, in verse 20, I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Anybody out there downcast, you're downtrodden, you're discouraged, you're depressed. I mean, this was Jeremiah. This was many of those in that day. Yet, everybody say yet. Yet, this I call to mind and therefore I have, everybody say it. So in the midst of my depression, I have hope. Because, everybody say because. Oh, it's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's not because of us. But because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, his mercies, his love never fail. I, I, I'm preaching already. I'm just reading the scripture. Hey, they are new every morning and great. In the midst of my despair, great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, I say, I mean, this is where I, I just, I, I use my sanctified imagination. I could imagine Jeremiah, he gets up every morning in the midst of a dark and gloomy forecast where it's going to be nothing but thunderstorms that day. He says, you know what? The thunderstorms are not my portion. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my inheritance and I will wait on him. I will wait on them. 
So, Father, we wait on you. As you have promised us because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are making all things new. That there is a new day. There is a new creation that lies ahead. And so we, we wait on you. And Jesus, we glorify you. We praise you, our King, because you have made that possible through your death and resurrection. And so I pray that you would be the center of our lives. I pray that you would be the center of our church. I pray that you would be the center of our message. And Spirit, we pray that you would be unleashed in our midst, in our lives, that you would go to work shaping us and forming us more into this new creation that has been redeemed and is being redeemed. I pray for those who are far from you, our King. They don't know you. They know maybe about you, but today I pray, Spirit, that you would begin to draw them to the beauty, the grace, and the ultimate hope that is only found in you, Jesus. We pray that in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So here's what we're going to do. And I, if you don't take notes, I would really encourage you to take notes this morning because if you are not in a storm right now, just wait. Just wait. But, I, but here's the thing. I think every single one of us, we, even if you're a teenager, where are my teenagers at? Say, I'm here. All right, there you are. Right. Like you, you even, you probably, many of you probably in a storm or you've come out of a storm. So the, these are great truths to speak over our lives when we go through sorrow and suffering and pain. So, so Jeremiah is going to give us four ways we can deal with old days. Four ways that we can deal with old days. Number one, God is sovereign over our sorrows. God is sovereign over our sorrows. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, things, like I said, they are very bleak there in Jerusalem. But yet, in the midst of this doom and gloom, Jeremiah says, I have hope. Hope, And the only reason why Jeremiah could have a hope in the midst of sorrow and suffering is because he believed God was sovereign over the sorrow. He believed that God was somehow in control over the darkness. You see, Jeremiah understood that the Babylonians coming to Jerusalem did not surprise God. Their conditions and environment on the ground did not surprise God. Their crying, their wailing, their mourning didn't surprise God. God knew that it was coming. You know, anytime human beings talk about suffering or sorrow and pain, especially with God in the mix, there's always these thoughts that come to people's mind that's part of that discussion. So the discussion goes like this, and there's some options that people talk about when thinking about God's relationship with sorrow, suffering, and pain. Like number one, God is all good, but he's not all powerful, because if he was all powerful, wouldn't he stop the sorrow, the suffering, or the pain? And so therefore, if, if he cannot stop the sorrow, the suffering, and the pain, then that means he's not God. So he's all good, but he must not be all powerful because if he was all powerful, he would stop this. Therefore, he's not God. Then some people would say, well, God, he's all powerful, but undoubtedly he's not all good. And the reason why he's not all good is because he chooses not to stop the sorrow, the suffering, 
and the pain. So therefore, he's just a divine, demented, twisted being. Or the third option in this discussion is that God is all-powerful and he is all-good and he's going to choose to use the sorrow, the suffering, and the pain for your good and and his glory. Now, that's what Jeremiah Jeremiah believed. That's what we believe here at Northland is that God is all-powerful, he's omnipotent, and he is all-good and he works out the suffering and sorrow and pain we experience for his glory and our good. Now, then people would want to ask, well, then why does he allow it? Now, because I, I want you to know this too, that God does not cause sorrow, suffering, and pain. Like he is not the originator of sorrow, suffering, and pain, but he allows it. So then the question is, why does God allow it? Well, here's at least three reasons why God allows it. He chooses to allow us to experience sorrow, suffering, and pain because of our sin and to make us discontent with the way things are. This is Lamentations. The reason why the Babylonians have come to Jerusalem, the reason why they have attacked them and that they are winning is because of Israel's sin. Remember last week, Isaiah 43, Isaiah prophesied. He predicted this would happen because of Israel's sin. Now they are experiencing the devastation of the Babylonians having come to town. And the reason why was because of their sin. This is also the case for humanity. The reason why we experience sorrow, suffering, and pain is because of our fallenness, because of our sinfulness. God did not intend for that to happen at the very beginning, but because of Adam and Eve's rebellion and their treason, their disobedience to God, it brought chaos, it brought pain, suffering, and sorrow into the world. And so now anytime we would experience sorrow, pain, and suffering in our life, it would it should conjure up these 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 thoughts like this is not the way it should be and God would say no it wasn't the way it should be it is because of sin and I have sent Jesus to deal with that so so that's that's one of the reasons why God allows sorrow suffering and pain another reason uh, God chooses to allow Satan and the fallen world to bring sorrow suffering and pain about to deepen our faith and to drive us to himself this is the case for Job Satan went to God and said, have you considered your servant Job? He's only righteous because you've given him everything that he can eat and then, and then some. Well, and God's like, well, sure, ha- have at it. You, you, you can do whatever you wish within these, within these boundaries. And so first, uh, Satan takes out Job's family. Job does not curse God. And then, then Satan comes to Job himself and brings about all this illness on Job. And he still did not curse God and, and die. It, it drove him deeper into exploring who God was. And then Paul, his thorn in the flesh. So if you read Corinthians, you'll see that Paul, he prays for the thorn in the flesh for God to take it away. But God does not take the thorn in the flesh away. Now, again, we don't know what the thorn was, but we know it brought sorrow and pain and suffering in his life. So God did not take the thorn away, but even in that context, Paul says, God, your grace is sufficient for me, even in my pain and my suffering. 
And then a third reason why God allows us to undergo these seasons of pain, sorrow, and suffering is that he chooses to allow sorrow, suffering, and pain to use it as a catalyst to bring about the salvation and the good of others. This ultimately is is seen both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, Joseph. Uh, Joseph was sold at the ripe old age of 17. He was sold into slavery by the hands hands of his brothers. And years later, they would reconnect and the brothers, they would be trying to, to grovel to, to Joseph. And he's like, hey, guys, guys, just time out, man. God, God has taught me some things. And he, and he tells them what you meant for evil, God has worked for good to bring about the salvation of many people. So what brought sorrow and pain and suffering in my life, God used it to work a salvation for other people. And ultimately that was, that was the truth of the cross is that God allowed his son, gave his son over to those who had conspired to kill him because he knew in redemptive history in his mind to save the world, he had to send his son to the cross. And so Jesus, the man of sorrow, the true weeping prophet there hung on a cross experiencing the sorrow and suffering and pain because he knew that through those things, God would work a great salvation for the world. So those are the three reasons. And so as Jeremiah, as he's looking at what's happening, he understands that God is sovereign over our sorrows. And so anytime we experience sorrow or suffering or pain, here's a great question that we can ask ourselves: What does God want to teach you in your sorrow? So if he's sovereign over my sorrow, over your sorrow, over our sorrow, we can ask him, God, what are you trying to teach me? The only reason why you would ask that question is if you believed he was sovereign and in control and he's doing something behind the scenes. The second way that that God helps us deal with old days is that God's covenantal love will never cease laboring for his glory and our good. Because of the Lord's great love, Jeremiah says, we are not consumed. The only reason why we are still breathing is because God's covenantal love for us. I mean, if you think about it, they are getting what they deserve. And ultimately, I know this is hard for the 21st century for for us intellectual people. Like, what do you mean we we deserve suffering and pain and sorrow? We're sinners. We, We chose that life. And so we, we're getting, they're, they're getting what they deserve. But God's love, God's love was working behind the scenes. His covenantal love never ceased to labor for their good and his glory. And so this idea of the Lord's great love, it speaks of his hesed, his, his steadfast love, his loyal love, his covenantal love. If you really want to understand the Bible, and I say the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that you need to understand is that God works through covenants. He, that, that's how he's chosen to work and interact with human beings. And I know what you're probably thinking. Josh, what is a covenant? Well, here's what a covenant is. A covenant 
is a formal relationship between two parties whereby a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both parties is sealed with an oath. So God is going to work through covenants. He's going to enter into a formal relationship with human beings and he is going to obligate himself. He's going to promise things to these human beings that he will do. And then on occasions, he's going to obligate humans that they need to do some things as well. Now, when Jeremiah is writing these words, he understood a few covenants that had happened before his time. One was the universal covenant with Noah and all creation. So anytime we see a rainbow, that is a sign of God's covenant with creation that he would never flood the earth again. And then also Jeremiah knew about the Abrahamic covenant where God comes to Abraham and God says, I'm gonna make you a great name. I'm gonna make you a great nation. So Abraham, you ain't gotta do anything. All you gotta do is believe in me. All, all you gotta do is have faith, confidence, trust in me, and I'm gonna do this. You, you ain't even, listen, you don't even have to put any effort other than you just need to trust me. Everything that I say, I will make you a great name. I will make you a great nation. And Abraham, here's another thing that I'm going to do. I'm, going, I'm obligating myself, Abraham, and through you and your descendants, I will bless every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. So, so Abraham, I'm going to do this. And then Jeremiah knew about the Davidic covenant, where God in 2 Samuel 7 comes to David and says, hey, David, man, I, I love your heart, and here's what I'm going to do. Because of just your faith in me, I am going to obligate myself. I'm giving you a promise right now that, that one day a descendant will come from your line and his rule will be everlasting. There will be no end to his rule. And he will reign with righteousness and justice forevermore. And David, you ain't got to do anything because one of these days you, you're, you're going to pass away and you're going to go on. And yes, you will live with me, but I'm telling you right now, here's what I'm promising you, David. You ain't got to do anything. I'm going to do it. I'm obligating myself to make it happen. But then there was another covenant. It was called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant. And after God had redeemed and delivered Israel from the Egyptians, he's going to enter into a formal relationship with the nation Israel. And he's going to give them laws that they have to live by. And those laws that they have to live by are meant for them in the promised land. And he tells, he tells Israel, as long as you are faithful to me, so this is now the obligation he is putting on Israel, that, that in the previous covenants, he didn't obligate Abraham, David, to do anything other than faith. But in this covenant, by faith, they were supposed to obligate themselves to follow all of God's rules and statutes and laws in the land. And he tells them, but if you get to a point where you start chasing after other gods, if you become idolaters and you worship anything other than me, then I will remove you from the land. I will kick you out of the land. Well, that's what's happening right now in Lamentations is that God is getting ready to, to pluck them out, to kick them out of the land because of their sin. But Jeremiah knew, which is why I had us read it earlier, is that Jeremiah knew that God was working behind the scenes for a new covenant, a greater 
covenant where God would just obligate himself to make sure that everything happened the way he wanted it to happen. And that's why he says, I will make, I will write, I will put my spirit within them and they will follow me. They will walk with me. So this new covenant is a greater covenant. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. All right, that that was a really good Bible lesson, Josh, but what does this have to do with us today in the 21st century? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. Okay. So this new covenant was made possible by whom? Jesus. All right, so let's, on the count of three, let's just practice the answer, all right? One, two, three. The new covenant was made possible by Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And listen to what Paul says about Jesus and God giving Jesus up for us. Romans 8, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All right, so just just think about it. So it was God's love, his covenantal love that chased us down. It was God's covenantal love that drew us to himself. It was God's covenantal love that awakened us to our need for him. It was God's covenantal love that saved us. And so while we were sinners, God gave Jesus over for us. And now, if we have now been grafted into the family of God via Jesus, all right, so think about it. way now we are part of the family of God the same love that brought us in is the same love that goes to work for us and our good for all eternity like in your darkness he's working how do I know because we saw it on the cross Even when we were in our sin, that's what he was doing. And so what do you think he's going to do when he has transformed us from a sinner to a saint? So in your darkness, he's working. In your struggle, he's working. In your hurting, he's working. In your weakness and in your nightmare, he is working. In your storm, he is working. When you feel trapped, he is working. When you feel all alone and abandoned, he is working. When you feel like you've blown it, his love is working. When your sin has come back to bite you in the rear, his love is working. When you think all hope is gone, his love is working. When you are uncertain about how things will turn out, his love is working. That's why I love the song. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. It overwhelms and it satisfies the soul. His love is coming into love. That's why I love Paul. In Romans 8, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't mean that life will always have those good sunshine moments, but even in the storms, God's working something good for those who love him because he's in this covenantal relationship with them. Man, that's just good stuff. It's good stuff. So, So the third way that God helps us make it through old days is God provides daily mercies in our dreaded messes. God provides daily mercies in our dreaded messes. For his compassions, his mercies, his love never fail. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. You know, this was a verse that 
I knew. We, we, we sing about it. We've sung about it forever. Especially in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We'll sing in the song after, after the preaching. But, but it's one thing to say God's mercies are new every morning. It's another thing to actually know what you're saying. And so I really wanted to spend some time wrestling. Okay, God, what, what does this mean? How does this really intersect our life? Well, the word new here can also mean fresh. So that means God's mercies, his love, they, they never get old. They, they, you never grow tired of them. They're always refreshing. They all, they're always satisfying. They're comforting. They're meaningful. They're impactful. And so even though Israel was in a dreaded mess, they would have never wanted to go into that season, that storm that they were experiencing. And I, I bet you, I, I, if I took a poll out of every single person that you're going through a, a season of sorrow, you would not have wanted to go through it. It's a dreaded mess. But even in their dreaded mess, Jeremiah is telling them that they can experience God's daily mercies. So we might wake up to a mess, but in waking up to a mess, we're also waking up to God's mercies. So, so how do you, how do you, how do I, how do we experience God's new and fresh mercies in our dreaded mess? Well, I, I, I started to, to think through this idea of God's love, his compassions and his mercies, and it, and it brought to remembrance a book that I had read years ago, The Five Love Languages, and just how you express love in your daily life. And so Gary Chapman, he wrote that book, and here are the five ways that you can express love. Acts of service, gifts, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. And if you look throughout scripture, you will actually find that God does love us this way in all of these ways, these five categories of love. So think about it, acts of service. God might provide for you a song from one of his creatures. Every morning I take the dog out. I listen. I, I, I really do. I, and I'm not being facetious. I listen to the birds sing. And that's God singing me his song. It's a song of creation that God's there. He's with me. God might provide for you a meal from one of his people. He, he might pay your rent. If you're going through a financial storm, he might, he might help you with rent from his church family. God might provide for you a resource. Somebody gives you a book, uh, turns you on to a podcast, and you listen to it, and it helps you. That's an act of service. God might provide uh, for you someone to watch your kids for a date night because you haven't been out in forever. That's God's act of service to you. God might arrange for someone, a family member, a friend, to take you to your cancer treatments. That's an act of service provided to you by a loving God. What about gifts? You, you do realize every breath that we, we take, that is a gift from the Lord. Our, our sight, our, our movement, our family, our friends, our church, our health, his written word. If you've got a job, that, that's a gift from God. If you're able to do your job, that's a gift from God. Money. If you, even if you've got like a dollar in the bank, that's a gift. Well, George, it's a dollar. It's a dollar. <laughs> if you ate this morning... That was a gift. That's God providing for you. And if it tasted good, that's above and beyond. <laughs> and then physical touch. He touches you through the warmth of the sun. He touches you through the falling of the rain. He hugs you through a hug of a friend. 
He touches you through the laying on of hands from your brothers and sisters in Christ. He might nudge you or snuggle with you through the warmth of your pet. And it better be a pet dog. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Not hating on cats. But you ever wondered why they have that instinct to just to nudge you or to Like, I'm telling you, they are God's creatures. It's the way, the way God physically touches us. And do you know quality time? God will never, he will never miss an appointment with you. God will never cancel an appointment with you. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's ready to have quality time with you. If you're in the car, he's there with you. You on the trail, he's there with you. You tossing and turning at night because you can't sleep and your mind's wandering, God's there with you. You cannot, you cannot outrun his presence. He wants to spend quality time with you. And then just words of affirmation. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. You're mine. You're not condemned. You're more than a conqueror. When you're weak, I'm strong. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're beautiful. You're lovely. I'm making you new. I'm not done with you. You have a hope. You have a future. Nothing will separate you from my love. I mean, those all are new mercies. Those are all God's unfailing love, never-ending love for us. Now, here's what sometimes happens. Is because we get so stuck in a rut, especially when we're going through pain and sorrow and suffering, that it's really hard to see God's new mercies. And so I was thinking about that because because I know that there are some of you, you're like, man, I, I know all that, but... Man, I haven't really experienced anything fresh lately. I haven't really experienced God's daily new mercies. Well, I'm happy to tell you I've fought through that one too. Because maybe, just maybe, you actually need a new perspective. So th- this, is, this is one image, but you can see it in two different ways. It could be a duck, or it could be a rabbit. This could be a goose. Or I don't know what the heck this is. Like a, like a rabbit squirrel. But when you're looking at the same thing and you haven't quite sensed God's new mercies, you, you might need to start looking at it from a new perspective. Because God wants to show you something different. Or maybe you need a new dimension. Here, here's a new dimension. This is what they call a stereogram. Now, it's hard to see this on, on a screen. I, I've tried. You, usually when they print this and, and it's out on a wall, it's much easier. But hidden within this picture is a 3D image. You, you do realize that because God has made us new, uh, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm of another world. I'm of another dimension. And many times we might miss God's new mercies. We might miss his new compassions because we're still thinking in a fleshly dimension and not a spiritual dimension. So we might need to pay just a little bit more attention about what God wants to show us about his new mercies from another dimension. And then... You might not need a new perspective or a new dimension. You might need new details. Everybody know what this piece of art is, right? Starry Night, Vincent Van Gogh. Now, when I think about this picture, and I knew this picture. I knew this picture existed. I've seen it before. And when I think about this picture, I'm immediately drawn to the Starry Night. But 
And I know you've already seen the picture, but what's in the middle of the picture? Church. If someone would have asked me, I wouldn't have known that. It's a new detail from an old picture. And so sometimes we might need to get our eyes off the same things that we're constantly seeing because God wants to show us a new detail. That's why a lot of times I like to watch the same movie over and over and over or the same sitcom over and over and over. I always pick up new details. I always pick up new words and I'm like, ah, that makes sense. And so some of us, when we go through sorrow or suffering or pain, we might need to start looking at new details that God wants to show us as opposed to focusing on the same detail over and over. Or we might need a new lens. See, when we go outside at night and it's a clear sky, we're not going to see this with the naked eye. We're not going to do it. But if we got, if we got a new lens, we, we can see the beauty we can see more, more of the beautiful aspects of God's creation. You do realize the new you has a new set of lens. You don't see things the way sinners see them. You don't see the same thing as people who don't know Jesus see them. He's given you a different set of eyes, a different set of lens to see something that other people can't see. So the reason... Why many of us, we might not experience God's new mercies or his new compassions is because we need a new view. Because unless we start seeing something through a new view, we'll never see his mercies anew. And then the, the last thing that he says in, this, you know, in that particular verse, he says, great is your faithfulness. Here's an incredible principle right here. God's faithfulness is greater than our fretting. You ever thought about that? great is your faithfulness. God, you'll never fail. That's why your mercies, they'll never fail. If we're willing to look, he's willing to provide. Wow, he's faithful. And his faithfulness is much greater than our fretting. Oh, oh yeah. And then the last way, the last way God gives us to face old days is this. Our future isn't a funeral, but life with the Father. I, I, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. He's my inheritance. Therefore, I will wait for him. I, I, I love this because Israel, they were facing a funeral. Jeremiah, he was facing a funeral, but he's saying, you know what? I'm not waiting on my funeral because the funeral isn't my future. The father is that divorce. That's not your future. Your heavenly father is. That besetting sin, that is not your future. Your heavenly father is. That, that criminal record, that isn't your future. Your heavenly father is. That termination, that's not your future. Your heavenly father is. That soul crushing word from your abusive father. That, that echoes over and over and over and over in your mind and you're 40, 50, 60 years old. That is not your future. Your heavenly father is. That denial into the college of your dreams, that is not your future. Your father, your heavenly father is. That loss of the family member that you loved, spouse, your child, that is not your future. Your heavenly father is. The bad news that you just received regarding the diagnosis. That is not your future. Your heavenly father is that depression, 
that is not your future your heavenly father is you see even though there might be a funeral like environment that is not the finality of our future our inheritance doesn't really even lie in a place it lies in a person that our portion is in a place our portion is a person and his name is Jesus And Jesus says, if you are in me, you are in us. The Father and I are one. That's why Jesus on the cross, he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The funeral was about to happen, but he knew the funeral wasn't the end. The Father was the end. So so in a funeral-like environment where things are dying all around us because we live in an old day, we live in a day and age where sin and brokenness still is very much in existence, we can commit ourselves to our inheritance, which is our Father. That's why I love what Job says. Even though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And why would he say that? Because in the next breath, he says, my Redeemer lives. The reason, the reason the new us can face old days is that he has given us a new kind of way, a new hope, a living hope that lives in light of the new creation that he is working and that he made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. So are you living out the new you in an old day? Because if so, you will be able to face those old days in a new kind of way. Let's pray. Father, you are our inheritance. You are our portion. That our future isn't a funeral, but our future is a father. And not just a father, but the father, the heavenly father. Father, I pray for my I pray for my family. I'm sure that many people here and engaging us online, they, they're hurting. They're in, that, they're in that old day. I mean, they're experiencing the storm. They're experiencing the hurt, the heartache. And so, Spirit, will you embed these truths, this new way of thinking into their heart and mind that they might speak that truth over their life. Father, I'm grateful for your truth. I'm grateful for your love, how it never fails. So I just pray nothing but blessing over my church family as we walk through these old days, looking forward to the new day that lies ahead. And it's in your name we pray, amen.